How's it going, guys? Welcome to the Serious Angler Podcast. For those that are new to the show, the Serious Angler Podcast is created to highlight the many passionate and dedicated anglers that we have in our fishing community, providing them a platform to share their story with the world. If you guys aren't already, please go down and subscribe to this YouTube channel. And if you don't want to listen to the podcast through YouTube, you can find Serious Angler on the Anchor app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Check us out. Thank you guys for watching. All right, Adam, what's up, my dude? How's it going, man? Oh, we're going. We're in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, right now. Ooh, yeah. I've heard that's a beautiful area. It is really nice. I mean, I've, I drove through in the dark, so I don't know for certain, but I guess I'll find out in the morning. Are you uh, driving straight up home then? After, or are you hanging around there for another day? I gotta drive to Virginia, go visit another shop drop off some fly rods, and then headed back to New York. If I leave and do it all tomorrow, I can get home tomorrow by midnight, or I might just try to stay at uh, Smith Mountain Lake and go fish for my buddy with my buddy for a day, or just go home. I don't know yet. I haven't made up my mind. It's kind of going this on the fly. So. Yeah, yeah, that's not – I mean, nothing wrong with that, especially – I'm sure it's kind of all with work too, so. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, for everybody tuning in, I'm with Adam again. We're talking about a bunch of different stuff. Uh, the Classic, uh, for those who don't know, I went down and worked the Classic, so we'll be talking about that, talking about the trip, talking about Chickamauga coming up next week. whole bunch of different topics. We're just going to go with it. But uh, we wanted to do this last night, but I always do that. There's no way that I would have fell asleep halfway through it. You would have been talking to yourself. <laughs> I, I wasn't was, doing too hot yesterday anyways either. So it was it was my buddy's fiftieth <laughs> birthday and we went out and hung out on the lake for that. Watched we actually watched uh the shoreline ice like break away. It has become spring in Minnesota. Like last time I was on and I was telling you it's normally ice till April, like it, it went rapid spring here. It, it, it's it's it was like 50s and 60s in new york while i was gone i figured as soon as i leave that's when it gets nice dude it was literally um so <laughs> friday it's been like pretty moderate like low 40s and then at night it's been like low 20s so honestly it's really nice for the only spot we have open to bass fish in the spring is the mississippi river because we have seasons which are really dumb yeah. but uh it's really nice that it it's like 40 during the day and then 20s at night because like you get a steady melt off because the Mississippi floods so badly if it just mm. all melts. Like last year when it started melting, we had like, I think we had over three feet of snowpack. And this year we had like foot and a half, two maybe. But like last year it rained for like a week. So it all went out plus six inches of rain. It was just a disaster down there. Jeez. But now it's it's going slowly, and then um, the good thing is this weekend then, it was our first, like, it was like 55 on Saturday. I just got my new boat back, put it in the garage, and we um, set up a TV out there with a couple buddies and watched a classic and just chilled out in the garage. It was awesome. And then <laughs> sat Sunday, it was uh, buddy Corey Studer's 50th birthday. Um and we went out to a lake and just he had a big party out there and uh yeah it was awesome because it was like 62 degrees it was beautiful <laughs> get the tank tops out get the beer out yeah having yourselves a summer day 
Yeah, basically, it was awesome. But yeah, the shoreline ice didn't like it very much. By the time we left, it was uh, pretty broken up. Yeah, I've I've gotten word that Cayuga is 38, 39 degrees already. So really? I'm, I'm headed there Saturday. Nice. God, I'm jealous of that. Uh, Pete Scholl, I don't know if you know him. You probably know him from the group chat, but he, uh, he's been catching smallmouth all, all winter long up in the Mississippi. Up here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably up in – I'm not going to say where because <laughs> it already gets hammered too much. But there's a, there's a section of the river that stays open and gets hammered all winter by us guys. But the season's closed now, so I guess it doesn't matter. But uh, It's nuts. I couldn't imagine not fishing for bass. Like, I would be I – I don't know what I would do. I haven't fished since – I think the last time I casted was that last, the one video when we were small fishing. Because then I sold my boat and then, then it was winter and I did not fish once this year. So here we are. Dude, uh, dude I, that's what I've been doing this week. I haven't been able to, I've still been fishing a couple times on the trip down. So my trip down from New York, I stopped in Nashville. Then the morning after I stopped in Nashville, I went to. How bad tornado damage down there, by the way? Was it noticeable see, for you or not? I didn't see anything. I was on the northeast side of Nashville, and I didn't see any damage. I think I was just on the opposite side of the city that mm-hmm. I got hit. So I don't know. I didn't see anything. Um, but I mean, obviously there was branches all over the highway, kind of thing. So like, obviously it was pretty wild, but there wasn't like any extreme damage as like you saw on TV. Yeah, so. you didn't see it. You didn't drive through like the area. No, no. Okay. And then, anyway. uh, yeah, that next morning I stopped at like Percy Priest Reservoir, and being from the north, I'm not used to submerged timber, so I walked down and I was just gonna walk around with one rod and just you know just cast around just to kind of get a feel for what's going on. I was throwing around a, a mega bass because there's no pike in the area. First cast, I get freaking hung up on a tree and lose that thing. So, I, <laughs> so I'm thinking, you know, so I move on a little bit, throw on a jackhammer, three casts later, jackhammer's gone. So within 10 minutes, I already lost almost 50 bucks. Oh, that's great. So I just threw on a crappy red-eye shad, lipless crankbait, and just started just burning the down the shoreline. Didn't catch a dang thing. Moved to, like, to the other side of the lake, threw on a football jig, lost a two-pounder. And I just got so fed up that I'm like, all right, I'm going to keep driving. So I just uh, went down to Birmingham. We got set up that day. And obviously classic and everything. But today. Do you want to talk about the expo first? Or do you want to talk about the Derb? Or... Hmm. I mean, how was the expo for you guys? For Douglas, it, it was it was good because it was a lot of brand recognition we got. A lot of people stopping in with questions. Uh, a lot of pros coming around. Uh, it was kind of nice because we were across from P-Line. So Brian Thrift and Scott Martin were in the P-Line booth for a day. So people tended to fluctuate towards our way. You get the almost the like crossover traffic of the people who don't want to stand in line. They'll come look at something else for a bit. Exactly. And even if they are standing in line, they're looking around. They're seeing the name. But mm-hmm. the biggest thing for us is letting people know we're not just a fly company, you know. Yeah, make some dang good uh, Douglas rods. Like Todd Otten, who got second, he uses Douglas rods. Oh, really? I guess I didn't even realize that. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, he's not 
he's not with us because we just we're small. We can't afford you know to pay him as yep. much as we'd like to. But hopefully soon. Hopefully we can uh, keep selling rods and get him actually on board. I, I sold a few rods. We sold a few fly rods, which is kind of surprising at a bass expo. Um, I think there's some it, good fly fishing down in like Tennessee, though, isn't there? I know there is trout fishing. I don't know about fly fishing. There are See, fly. I know shots. there's trout, but I, I just assume if there's trout, people fly fish them. Yeah, I don't. I think they're mostly float rods that people use, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. I don't so, know the oh, difference between a float and a fly rod, so there's the problem. <laughs> see, when it comes to the trout side is when my buddy steps in who I work with. When it comes, like, because I am strictly, as you know, I'm 100% bass. So when it comes to trout, I'm like, hey, Mike, question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's I, float rods, you're kind of, I think you're just letting, you're, you have a certain amount of line out, and you're just letting it obviously float down river. And once you get to a certain point, you pick it back up. And you just keep floating down, just kind of picking a routine and just where fly rod, you're actually, you know, swinging and there's kind of an arc to it. Yep. And then again, I, I'm not knowledgeable in that area whatsoever, but <clears throat> there is trout fishing down here. I just don't know what exactly it is. So I couldn't speak on it. Gotcha. But that it was, was it, was it slam busy on Friday, Saturday, Sunday then, or was there any days that were more busy? Saturday was ridiculous. Saturday was nuts. Um, it was hard. We sold a good amount of rods, but it's like, uh, it was just hard because there's guys having rod sales. Like you could, you, there was a sale going on for the Veritas rods, three okay. for bucks, three for what? A hundred bucks, three for a hundred bucks. Jeez. How do you compete with that? You, you can't, you literally can't. Yeah. Like we went up to we went up to like Dobbins and everybody and we're like, like how are you guys doing? And they that they said the same thing. It's like how do you how do you compete with that? I, I, you can't. You know, it's, yeah. they were doing like the SLX rods, like three for hundred on those. Like it was just nuts. Maybe they're just it might be cutting out that line. That's why they're getting rid of them so fast. It wasn't even like the companies doing that though. It was like uh, it was small retailers from that area that just had a big production of them and they just. Shoot them out the door. Huh. They were just trying to clear out the warehouse. I don't know. Was there any cool, like, new baits or anything you saw? I saw, like, the new Daiwa reels looked really sick. The Like, the new Zillion 10, and uh, they had new Tatula SV that looked pretty sick. You see anything cool? So I didn't. I stopped in the Daiwa booth for a little bit, talked to Cody Meyer. He's coming on the podcast, so that's going to be pretty sweet. Um, but I didn't really look at the reels too much. Okay, uh, I think the most time I spent in a rod and reel booth besides Douglas was Abu, just because uh, Josh Bertrand and Destin Demarion, who's been on the podcast, were there. Okay, so I spoke to them for a long time during the weekend. Um, but really, I mean, Mega Bass dropped two new colors, which is pretty sweet. Guys were lined up at that booth buying those puppies for the one so, times. Yeah, there was two new colors, like a ghost color, and then one that was kind of like a weird. I don't even know how to describe it. It was kind of like a different shad pattern they came out with. But they weren't even selling discounted. Guys were buying them full price just because they were new colors. Yeah, dude, those jerk baits, like, people eat them up. Yeah, and they announced, like, oh, yeah, we have limited edition sweatshirts and stuff, like the camo ones, and walked up there and was like, you know, what, what's the price on them? Because they didn't say it in the Instagram post. And they're like, oh, $79.99. I'm like, yeah, sorry, not, not worth it to me. 
Mm-hmm. Not, uh, not buying a cotton sweatshirt for 80 bucks. I'm sure they sold out, though. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I didn't check. But Alfaro's over really there. Eats it up. They make great stuff, so I can't really. Dude, I find... Do I have it? I'm going to have to send you a picture. It's in, the, it's in the van. But I picked up these jerk baits for three bucks. They're like originally $13.99. I can't remember the brand saved a life of me. But I used them today when I visited Watts. When I was driving by Watts Bar, I stopped at a park to use them. Dude, they are literally spot on Mega Bass jerk baits. And I got them. I got like, I got eight of them. And it was total 16 bucks. Nice. Yeah. And so I'll have to send them to you because they're a lot cheaper than Mega Bass and they work exactly the same. Huh. So. I need to look at that. I'm not a very good fisherman. Uh, well, they're, I love I love fishing a jerkbait. It is so much fun. But um, beyond the point, there were some good deals. Like uh, there's this one place at the corner. There's um, Land Big Fish, I think it's called. Have you ever heard of it? Land Big I Fish. I think I've heard of it, but. It's like blue and black logo. Okay. Dude, I probably spent, I think it came out to for the weekend, like 60. Like I think I told you, like I had 50, 60 bucks and it was over $200 worth if you paid it all full price. Yeah. Of just, I just loaded up on crankbaits. Nice. Yeah. So that was pretty sweet. Um, trying to think of anything else. People were uh, going crazy over the Fritz side because that's what uh, Hank Cherry was throwing the first day. People were throwing the Fritz side the first day? Yeah, that's what they were saying. At least at the Berkeley booth, they were saying he was throwing a Fritz the first day. Didn't look like he was throwing a Fritz side, but could have been. Fritz, and then he was, I think it was a Fritz and a jerkbait that he was switching between. Yeah, I thought he caught him on a chatterbait, but I could be wrong. I didn't was, see him catch his fish. Uh, Todd, Todd caught him on a chatterbait. He's one of the original guys of the chatterbait. Yeah. He was on that, but I don't, I don't know. I didn't watch Hank too much. Did you get to watch a lot of it or not? Yeah, I threw it up on our TV, uh, but I spent a lot of time obviously talking to people coming around. Yeah. But I did watch a good amount. Um, just obviously didn't get the whole scoop on what Hank was doing. I know you definitely had a better view than I did of what uh, the whole lowdown of everything going on. Yeah, so, kind of excited to chat about that too because it, it was—I don't know—it was unique. It—it it didn't shape out the way I thought it was gonna, um, and I don't think it shaped out of the way a lot of the guys thought it was gonna. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there were going to be a lot of bigger bags. I knew it was going to be tough, but like, I mean, from what I heard from practice was like, you were going to have to catch like 21 to probably 23 a day Yeah, in that range. Like they were talking mid sixties, maybe higher, um, like 21 to 22 on your bad day, maybe 19 and then mix in a dirty, like that's what they were talking about was like there were just that many big fish eating. <laughs> it looked that way. It just didn't seem like that happened. Um, other than Hank, but like Hank caught his, I mean, I think three of his on the first day he caught, I don't even know where that spot was. He went to cause like it was, I don't even know if he caught him on live. He did because he didn't have a camera with him at that point in time when he made those three upgrades. I think, I think yeah. he was like on Skype and I just missed where he was because he wasn't one of the guys on live that first day. I could be totally wrong right now, but I swear I was, huh? Was that the first spot or was he at the bridge for when he dropped that 20 iron? No, so so he caught most of his fish. So, like, if you know, 
Gunnersville from being down there. He caught almost all his fish on that Browns Causeway, which like yeah. for anybody listening to this who's like, oh, he just fished this riprap wall. Like that riprap wall is like two miles long. Like that's it's really long. It is very expansively long. Um, but it's notorious. Like it's notorious for a reason. There's always big fish by it and they pull in, but like that's where I guess I got really thrown off was whenever you go to Gunnersville, they talk about the bridges and like the riprap causeways because they're just highways and that's where like you can bust a giant bag, which Hank, you know, partially did the first day on one of them. But normally, you get burned by the bridges in a multi-day tournament if you don't have anything else to go to. So, like, watching him just keep going up and down that and just stick with it was interesting because I thought the grass bite was going to be what was going to do it because there was a lot of it, and... From what I heard about Seth doing and stuff like that, like that sounded where the consistent bites were. And normally grass fish in general are pretty consistent. Like they don't really leave. It's just more of do they eat? And it seems like they just didn't eat. Like the big talking point of the whole classic was the water dirtied. Yeah. I've heard I heard that uh oh, who was it? can't remember his name, but he worked for P-Line. Um, and he said that he went out with Alex Davis during practice, and they just hung around the launch. And they dropped 23, 24 pounds near the launch just fishing eelgrass. Mm-hmm. Just fishing the deeper uh, the deeper uh, eelgrass eel, eel line. So they're staying on the deeper side of it, just throwing a chatterbait on the, on the grass line. And they said that's what they are doing, and that was it. And they yep. said they're surprised that there weren't bigger bags, but... I, I was more surprised, I guess, I mean, it was Hank, how he stayed so consistent on that causeway and how slow he was working that jerkbait. So Hank's one of the best jerkbait fishermen. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And everybody's known it for a long time. He just, he's a jerkbait. Yeah. But it was just, I feel like, I don't know what the water temps were. I can't remember, but. I think they were like mid to low 50s. Oh, really? Maybe even lower. Well, I think what ended up screwing it up was that day off they had, and then the first morning of the derby, like the two days off, it rained and it was cold rain. And then that first day of the derby in the morning, and the second day of the derby in the morning, it was so cold. Like you probably walked outside and were like, it's cold. It was kind of chilly one morning because it got in the 30s. I think it was Friday morning. It was 30s. When you woke up, yeah, and then it was, then oh my gosh! But the rest of the day into Sunday, it was beautiful, sixties, sunny. I mean, it's still cold when you're running down the lake, but I mean, I don't know. It was just, it was kind of interesting to see the different patterns that people kind of put together. I really thought Zaldane was going to do a lot better than he did, and he did not do very good at all. But and that's he, that's what's crazy: the fact that so with that causeway being so good and like it seemed like the bridge bite was fairly okay that i thought he would like if the bridges were gonna go off that's one thing seth said on first day he was worried about was like if the bridges go and it turned out being you know seth was a contender i mean paint's just the only one who got it dirty yeah that's ultimately what distinguished it was one day he brought in eight pounds more than everyone else 
And that's what he ended up laying in because otherwise he was consistent with everybody. But like, I was, I'm really surprised nobody else, like, you know, when people found out like, oh, he just caught a dirty and part of it was on a bridge, you know, other guys were swinging into bridges. Yeah. And I don't know if you got to see it really because of live, but like, it, this was the craziest classic I thought watching, maybe even tournament in general, for like bite windows. Oh because like, dude, it was dead on live for like an hour and a half, and one guy would catch one, and I swear everybody was hooked up. And it was just like fish, 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 fish for like 30 minutes, and then just dead again. Yeah. So I don't know if it was... I don't know if they switched like current what they were pulling on the TVA and that got them to fire or like it was just the time of day because it, I thought it was the time of day. And then like one day it just didn't go and you're like, well, maybe it's not the time of day. Like it was weird. And that's why I thought like someone else is going to run into a dirty one of these times because a bite window is going to open right as someone pulls up to a bridge and they're going to catch 30 pounds. It, it seemed like it was like the first hour, hour and a half is when guys kind of fired off. And then it seemed like it took a couple hours for that sun to come up, warm up the water a little bit. And it seemed like that sun kind of triggered him a little. At least that's in my mind. I think that's what kind of helped Hank with his jerkbait bite too, is that sun. Yeah, especially on the last day because, like, he was doing all right. And then, like, it seemed like at around that 1030 to noon time, when the sun got up, it seemed like a few more pulled into kind of that rip rap, and he was able to make a few upgrades. He had sun and wind, and that's what you want for a jerkbait. I mean, and his water wasn't that dirty. It's where yeah. you look at everybody else's, and it was dirty, which is crazy because Browns is – I mean, that creek is huge. And it was so windy those few days that, like, how did Browns get dirty? Yeah everything else like you go into one cut and it's just mud it yeah. makes no sense yeah what was uh did you see, okay i gotta bring this up before i ask you that question did you see brandon lester's catch where he had that what they said they said it was a five pounder where he got caught in the rope it was yeah it was actually his big one a day two it was like a six something <sighs> Um, I was, that was one thing I was going to bring up that was super cool about watching it. I thought Lester was going to be a big contender on the last day. Cause he closed that gap to yeah. get within, you know, he was in that five pound range going into the last day, him and Cruz were. And I thought if Hank was going to stay in that 17 to 19 range, which he did, they were the ones to have a chance. Cause they didn't have to get a dirty 30. They just had to get 25. And, and Lester, on day two, that was sick. He pulled up to, uh, I think it's a dock right outside Seabold. Yeah. Um, they were saying on live it was a dock that uh, was an old classic. Someone won off of it. I don't know if it was. I can't remember the name, and I don't want to sound dumb, but I just spit names. But, uh. <laughs> Dude, he pulled up to the dock and he flipped into it. And the first the first fish he hooked under it had to have been a seven or eight pounder. He broke it off. Just monster. Then he flipped back in, he caught a four, flipped back in, caught another four, flipped back in, and then he caught that six. And then he caught like a couple others in there. And that was in like a 45 one-hour stretch. 
And that's when he did his whole damage, basically, on day two, is they all pulled into that one dock. Um, Imagine if he had that, let's call it seven at least. Imagine if he had that and he called out one of his twos. Yeah, well, he ended up getting rid of one of the twos. I think his small one that day was like, you know, a three, three and a quarter. But still, like, that puts him one pound away. Yeah. Into that last day. He had 2015 and then a 21, and then it was 19, or it was 12 9 on the, on the last day. I'm almost curious. I mean, I didn't watch. I didn't watch enough to really get a good gauge on it. Did he stay consistent with his pattern, or did he kind of swing for the fences hoping to get a big bag on the last day, and that might have thrown him off his game? I think he might have went swinging day three. You think because if he stayed consistent, he might have? I don't off. know. Because that's what was weird. Like, I thought, I was like, he's consistent. And, like, he had a big grass flat on the main lake. He was catching them on, too. And, like, the only guy, really, who I think whacked him on the last day was Seth. If I, what did he have? I haven't heard, yeah, 21-13. Back of the last day, he had, like, almost 22, I think. Him and uh, Lee Livesey both had 21-13. Yeah. And then Todd and Stetson both had 20, 10, 28, 18, 17, 18, 17. Yeah. Seth and Lee Livesey were tied for the biggest bag on day three. Yeah. And uh, there was actually a guy from Minnesota. My buddy Andy was following him. And he said that he just was in this grass area and they were just loaded. Andy Young? No, Andy Nichols. This guy from up in Minnesota. He's got a giant beard. Okay. I was like, do you know? Do you know Andy Young? I know Andy a little bit. We've talked a few times. He okay. fished a lot. He okay. used to fish a lot of Tonka stuff. Okay. He stayed at the same hotel as I did. Stayed the super, same hotel. Super like, nice guy. Seemed like it. Yeah, he stayed in the same hotel. Said hello to us at breakfast. Always repping like everything. Outcast tackle, head to toe. Yep. Yeah. Didn't, doesn't he fish with? He used to fish with Scott Martin a little bit. Yeah. Well, whenever Scott comes up, so Scott comes up north. In the summer, normally once or twice, and he fishes with, like, the Capras mm. because uh, Ted and Roland used to be really, really good buddies before Ted died. So mm. he still comes up and fishes, like, a bunch of – he does a lot of Scott Martin challenges up here. So um, Josh Douglas has been in a few. Andy's been in a few. I think Felix has been in a couple. Mm. Felix was – You guys? Yeah. Felix was rocking the uh, the checkerboard blue checkerboard pants all weekend. Yeah, kind of pajama pants. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty Felix. Uh, yeah, there's. I mean, it was pretty cool. Like I've never experienced a classic before. It was my first one, so just kind of seeing all the pros you've been like I've been watching my entire life and following kind of thing. It's just like you're looking around, like oh, this is everybody, and then they're talking to you like you're like you know it's you're one of your buddies. It was yeah, like, oh, one of the dudes. Right. Yeah, and it kind of just puts you back in reality. And like, did I tell? I did my very best not to fanboy at all and like stay professional and everything. Uh, but it was like when I saw like my one guy I watched like my entire life was through the the ranks with Pollock. So when I saw him, I was just like, this is pretty cool. Like, <laughs> I've just never been at that that stage before. And uh, our rod designer for Douglas, Fred Kentawi, he's a former FOW, like. One of the originals, he just knows everybody. Yeah. Uh, introduced me to a bunch of people, so it's, it was pretty cool to kind of like meet him and just 
dog fishing. So it was, it was pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was really cool for me to watch just because like a lot of the stuff Cruz was fishing, I fished when I was down there. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty familiar with a lot of his spots and what he was doing and um, that sort of stuff. On, on the last day when he caught that seven pounder to start, I was like, here we go. Like, that, well, that's what you need. You yeah. need a monkey like that to make up the ground. And he caught it right away and then he just couldn't get any more. Um, could you imagine being him though and catching that seven right away and in your mind thinking exactly like you thought where it's like all right and then just not catching that same caliber for the rest of the day yeah it was just crazy for me this this had to have been the first time they've been to gunnersville where like seabold creek and all reds didn't play like at all yeah and, like, those are notorious. I mean, that's where Cruz spent a good amount of time, and, like, Lester ended up getting some of his fish. And a few other guys kind of dabbled, but, like, it wasn't like guys were in Seabold or, like, Goose Pond, like, a couple people caught a couple. But, like, the only area that really went off was Browns Creek, and it was the Browns Causeway, and then Otten was on the south end of Browns, and that's where Brandon Card caught his fish, too, I believe. Mm. which was uh, it was just interesting to me it just seemed like nothing really played and then where um where keith combs got his big bag it see i think he caught it up in north saudi on uh where did he go so, what did, did he put up day two day two he had like 23 24 I want to say I'm looking at the day two weights right now. He had twenty three ten. Yeah, yeah, and he caught that I believe up in North Saudi, like way up there, past the bridge that Clifford Perch caught him on when they were there once. Um, what was his kicker? Do you know? I think he had like a six or a seven. Just pretty much stay consistent. Yeah, it was just a pretty consistent bag, but. Yeah, it was for me. It was just really crazy how spread apart everyone was, and uh, just how certain creeks just didn't really play. And like in my experience there, it seemed like certain ones should have played. Like Honeycomb is a creek that's not pretty notorious down there for either being really good or really bad. And it must have been really bad in practice because nobody went there in the tourney. But that that's a bay that when i was down there like it's got a ton of lily pads like it's got a bunch of you know that foil eelgrass hydrilla kind of got a little bit of everything in it and you would think you know it's on the north well it's on the way west end of the lake but on the north side and it's pretty small it's got a small mm -hmm. channel to get into it so like if the wind blows really hard it doesn't seem like that creek would ever really dirty yeah so i if I was fishing down there, it seems like, and I was doing terrible, it's somewhere that I might just run into and be like, well, maybe we'll catch a few. But that's easy for us to say as watching, you know, being like, oh, I would have done this or done that. Like, and it's very evident the conditions were extremely difficult. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's the top 53 guys in bass fishing that, out that tournament. So, yeah. But it makes you kind of wonder, though. If there was a day four to the classic, would it would Hank still have won it? 
Because you never know if Seth would have kept up and he could have dropped another bag. Or I don't know. I'm I'm actually I'm load, let me load the day three weights. How much did Hank actually win by? Was it like seven pounds? He needed twelve pounds to to win. He needed like twelve thirteen or something like so, that. You think he yeah. had thirteen? He won by. So he won by seven pounds, basically. I don't know if anyone would have caught him. So, well, here's the thing: someone would have had to catch a dirty. That's and guessing, and the only people who even could have caught him if they caught a dirty, and he catches his twenty, is you're looking at the top five. So you're looking at Otten, Blaylock, Frazier, Fighter. Yeah. And I don't know if any of them even thought they could have done that. You know, Seth in practice said he thought he could, but. I'm just thinking that causeway, I, just, I mean, I don't know how fast and how well those fish reload, and I don't know how there's offshore spots. So I'm thinking, like, I'm looking at Hank, and he goes 29 on day one, 16-10 day two, and then a 19-8 day three. While it's still good, it's not as consistent as Todd and Blaylock, where they go, Todd went 20, Blaylock had 18. Todd had 18, Blaylock 19. They both had 20 on day three. That's pretty damn consistent. It makes yeah. you wonder if maybe, you know, if Hank has another 16 or a 14 for a day four, those guys catch 20-plus. Somebody could have taken him on day four. It could have happened easily. Yeah, it really makes you wonder because of the conditions. And it, what really makes me wonder is if the Classic would have been a week earlier. Was the weather entirely different or what? Well, it seemed like in practice everyone was beating the snot out of them. It looked like Seth was catching the living crap and out it, of them. It seemed like most guys were posting pictures of giants. So I don't know if they were just getting one, onesie twosies, or like it'd be interesting, you know, for you to have someone on chat, you know, one of the guys who were in that top five to ten and just be like how much did it change from practice? Because it seems like that day or two of rain just is what did it. Yeah, I can definitely try to reach out to Otten and see if he'd be interested in coming on and talking to him about it. I mean, I'm sure he's going to be on a bunch of different podcasts after that. but So mine definitely is not his priority list. But uh, he's good friends with our guys at Douglas, so I'm going to have to ask him. Uh, that'd be kind of cool to get the inside scoop on – what yeah, even like, like Stetson too, because Stetson was so Stetson was so like consistent with like he just threw a crankbait over grass. Yeah, that's all he did, all day every day. Threw a crankbait over grass and he caught him every day. That'd be that. Had been a blast. Yeah, <laughs> feeling that tick and then just, just getting. And he crunched. was doing it unique too. One kind of unique way I thought was he was throwing a. New Norman, I guess, that probably is going to sell out real quick whenever it does come out. But uh, he was throwing it on 20 pound fluoro so that it wouldn't sink as much. Yeah, so it stayed up above yeah. the Yeah. He had mentioned that in the weigh in. Which another thing about the weigh in that was pretty funny was uh, Frazier and, and Seth when they tied. I don't know if you watched it on the yeah, live. Yeah, they showed it on the live when they did the rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. It was kind of funny. Just, yeah. Yeah. Seth was just like, you could tell when he was talking to Seth that Seth was just happy to be there because he didn't care. He was just kind of being his old goofy self. Mm -hmm. Where 
could tell that he he knew he didn't win, so he was content with where he was because he had yeah. a good three. So he's like, I I did what I could, you know. Yeah, he had fun. I think on that last day, from what it looked like, he was just having a blast. I he think just, he had a great trip to Alabama in general. He had a great practice. I mean, I, was it was it day one where he kind of struggled, or was it day two? Well, day one he had sixteen ten. Um, day two he had fifteen nine. Imagine if he. Imagine if you took 20 uh, pounds. Andy, Andy told me that when he was talking to Seth on the last day when he was following him, Seth told him he dumped an eight-pounder on day two. So that's Ooh. another five pounds. That would have put him in around second. Sheesh. So he, he was around the caliber. It's just, like I said, man, Hank got a dirty 30 the first day, and it was basically – it's, it. it's funny because they always say at the Classic, like, you can't win it on the first day, but you can lose it. And yeah. it's funny because, like, Hank won it on the first day. He like, on the first day. Yeah. He just couldn't blank, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He could have brought in 10 pounds on day two, and he still would have won. With the weights they would have gone. I, he might have abandoned Brown's Causeway at that point, you yeah. know. But, like, he was that far ahead. I also feel like Gunnersville didn't show out as much as people hyped it up to be. No, it didn't. And that's that's what was kind of disappointing for me. Like, dude, I was excited to see, like, the mid-20-pound bags. Like, I thought there were going to be a good amount of that 20 to 25s, and then you'd see a couple 28s, maybe a 30 each day and there's going to be a lot of spot jostling and there just really wasn't like the guys who were up top kind of were there yeah it, it it was cool in the fact that you saw anglers like you saw the talent you saw how smart these guys are being hit with the conditions that they had and they were still going went out and were able to catch them. At least that that top ten that really put up the good consistent numbers. But it was also like people just want, like for your average just viewer, it was disappointing because you didn't have mega bags all over the board. But I, I think for the guys like us that I can appreciate what they did with the conditions mm-hmm. they had, it was still pretty cool. Watching them kind of overcome different things, seeing their brain start to turn when things went, you know, not their way. Yeah, and I think this is maybe what people say, you know, it wasn't a great classic or whatever. I thought it was a great one, but what what was hard is watching and seeing – this is where it almost sucks having Bass Live now or, like, Bass Track, is seeing, like, Hank put up 15 to 20 and you're like, oh my God, someone's got to catch 25 and nobody can do it. Like yeah. nobody can actually do it right now. Yeah. And well, uh, I think what's crazy about the conditions, like I was saying, if it would have been a week earlier, like two weeks before that classic, there was an Alabama bass trail event and over 30 won it. And then I think it dropped off pretty quick, but, like, there was one team that weighed in four for, like, 24. They had, like, a nine and a ten, I think. And, like, those type of fish were eating, the you know, that point of time up there. So that's what makes me wonder if just that rain, everything that was giant, because those giants are so, you know, anal. 
that yeah. they just turn off, and that seems like what happened. I'm curious, those guys that put up that numbers, if if they were locals, like your locals that only fish that, you know. It's an Alabama basketball event, so they're locals, but normally it's a pretty good distinguishing factor on what's going to happen. Like, you know, I wasn't sitting here thinking 90 pounds is going to win it, but I, I thought it'd be over 70. Yeah. And it wasn't going to be, there was one 65 and a half pound bag, which like 65 and a half, like that's a good weight to win the classic. Like it's 21, 22 pounds a day, which I thought it would probably take to win it. But the fact that Ogden in second had 58, like there's just that dramatic drop off. Yeah. But it was cool. Cause like, I mean, very evident what the, uh, winning patterns were the, um, you know, jerk bait, which most people probably didn't think that was going to win on Gunnersville. Nope. But then you have crankbait, lipless, and chatterbait, which is like, yep, that's that's springtime. That's... And I'm surprised that swimbait did, didn't actually play more, like even a five, six incher. Like, yeah, and it, it's because the water was so dirty. That's what I think. Because you saw Canterbury pick it up for a little while. He was throwing a big one around. That was one thing, again, I, Zaldane didn't break out anything. I, the, the only time I saw Zaldane, I think he was throwing a Nico rig on Rip Rap. Well, and to start that first day, he was hawking like a six inch, six, eight incher. Oh, did he? Yeah. When he first started, he was hawking a big swim bait around bridges and said he was just hoping for five bites and he was just going to run bridges. And then by, like, noon, he had nothing, so he picked up an eco rig and just tried to get some. I say, the only time I think I watched him was on that day one when he had a spinning rod, and that's what I, all I saw. He was struggling to get two-pounders. But Yeah. I know. Was there any, you know, besides in the Nico was probably the only unique thing I saw someone doing besides crankbaits, chatterbaits, you know, trickbait. I didn't really see any, anybody else doing anything different. Nope, it was. That's what it was. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, talk about you know what's freaking cool that I thought was pretty awesome in my mind. Cody Huff, college kid, top twenty-five. Mm-hmm. That's freaking cool. That kid's going places, man. I had him. I had him on my fantasy team, so I was pretty hyped about that. How'd you do with your fantasy? I actually did pretty good. Um, didn't finish like. Didn't win a ton, but like I had, so I had, I actually had Seth in my group one. Um, I, too. I, I had Corey Johnston going into that day actually, and then I saw Seth's interview with Zona like at the night of champions dinner, and I was yeah. like, oh, Seth seems like he's got a lot of confidence. I should probably put him in. Normally, when he's talking like this, he whacks him pretty good. So I swung him in quick, and after the first day, I was like, dang it. <laughs> but he's yeah, coming swing- through. Yeah, and you swayed me because I had John Cox as my group A. So then you told me that you told me that the night before, and I was like, "Damn, he's a Minnesota boy. He understands Seth. All right, I'm gonna switch him. To, I'm gonna switch to Seth Fighter." He's normally pretty good about calling a shot when he's gonna do good. Like when he tells people, "Like, hey, like in that interview, Zona was asked him, what's a bad first day for you?'" And he was like, "19." And I was like, "What?" It's like, "Yep." probably mid-20s and the zona was like what do you think you could do he's like high 20s i was like oh okay here we go that's a gunnersville bag <laughs> yeah yeah 
You think he, he jinxed himself? <laughs> I, I don't think he's losing that. Yeah, he, he seems and like he has to a, was he, uh, he stayed in that area and he just fished boat docks. Yeah, he knew what he, he fished what he was confident with. Yeah. And that was interesting, too, because maybe a jig plays a bit on Gunnersville, but whenever I've seen tourneys out there, I've fished out there, like, I never really have a jig play that much. I haven't seen much. I feel like for the – when I think yeah, of Gunnersville, I think of Slimbait. He's been got a couple key fish on that causeway on a jig. Oh, did he? Real slow, yeah. Got a couple. Yeah, when I think Gunner, or when I, yeah, when I think Gunnersville, I think crankbait and swimbait, and that's it. That's all yeah. I think. And obviously, well, one thing that people uh, miss can, I mean, what people kind of screwed up with, um, that I think people were really favoring, which but shouldn't have been, was Jamie Hartman winning, having a chance at a win. They're like, oh, but he won it on Gunnersville last year. I'm like, yeah, that was what June, July, completely different time frame. Yeah. Yeah, and where yeah. he won it, um, Seth was kind of up in that same area. Lester was up there that first day, too, and second day. And I don't remember Lester going up there day three, which I was really surprised about because it seemed like the water was starting to clear up up there. So I, I don't really – I don't remember seeing Lester on live much. And I just don't really remember what he was doing that last day. But he's, I mean, he's not – he's basically a local. He's Tennessee. He's only an hour or two away from there, so – he might have just been swinging. Makes you wonder what he could Which, have done. Which, hey, if, if I was in Lester's spot four pounds out and I felt like I had maxed out on my stuff and I was going to hit the one dock that was good to me the day before, I'd probably go swinging too. Yeah. The last screw day of the classic. Yeah, screw it. Do it. But, yeah, I didn't do too bad in my fantasy. I did. I had Seth. He got fourth. And then uh, – Caleb Summerall was 26, so he didn't make the top 25. I had Lee Livesey, which was helped me. He was eighth. Greg De Palma got 23rd, and then <laughs> good old Daryl Gleason got me. He was 35th, so I didn't have a great lineup, but it wasn't too bad. I had uh, so I don't have my fantasy lineup up, but I'll see if I can remember him. I had Fighter, and then I had David Mullins, and uh, I was actually pretty confident that he might get a good bag after. Day two is just crankbait fishermen. That's why I picked him. Just throws a DT6 all the time. And yeah. day, day three, he only had four fish. But then, uh, so I had him. He finished 13th, which was good. And then I had um, Drew Cook, who was in 22nd. Cody Huff in 24th. And then my low one was Shane Leahy, and he was 28th. Dang. Could you imagine being Cody Huff right now? Being at the Bass Master Classic at his age, top 25, coming home with a nice check? Oh, dude. Well, I couldn't imagine being him and having won. Like, he's won a couple big events already this year. Yeah, he's got a 30 grand check off of FLW on, on Toledo. Yeah, or was it Toledo or Rayburn? I think, I it, was, I think it was Toledo. Maybe it was Toledo. My buddy Justin Cooper got fifth on it. Hmm. So Cody Huff got first. That's sick. Yeah, I could imagine, man. I mean, that's a dream. Yeah. yeah. Just the whole weekend, like, from our first time we talked, and I told you I was a tourney junkie, and, like, that's who I am. Like, I was watching that live and just thinking of, like, man, I can't wait for that day, like, that I'm on there. And, like, you catch that giant one 
on like day three or whatever, flip it in and you're like, all right, you know, I got a shot and you're just hooting and hollering, screaming, you know? Yeah. yeah. I was just like, man, I can't wait for that day. It's going to be a cool day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be rooting for you. I'll be sitting there uh, working the, the classic yelling at the yeah, see, yeah, I, I hope everybody's following me. That's a funny thing. Um, some guys complain about those spectator boats and, I mean, when you look at Hank Cherry at some points, though, he, some of those boats were pretty damn close. Yeah, but he must have been fine with it because normally they'll say it. Like yeah. If you're getting close, they'll just look at you and be like, hey, man, can you back up a little bit? It's like, oh, yep. Nothing I think will ever be worse than Kevin Van Dam at Toledo Bend. Yeah. That was nuts. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine like having 40 boats surrounding you watching everything, single thing you do? Well, I think what helped, honestly, with spectator boats now is spot lock. Because, like, you don't get lackadaisical and, you know, having a few beers and all of a sudden you're drifting into a spot. Like, you just hit spot lock and you're good. Yeah. Dude, yeah, I, mean, I, think a, I think a crowd's following. And Seth, when he was on AOI and Malax, like, that second day when I was out there following him around, and we had like the mullets on and air horns and everything. Like, I think there was fifty boats, like at least. It was unbelievable. Good grief! I, I couldn't imagine doing that. I, I when I'm fishing tournaments, I like to be on my own. That would annoy the crap out of me. Yeah, I wouldn't care at all. I like chatting with people, so I'd probably just be chatting with them the whole time. Honestly. See, if I was chatting the whole time, I'm distracted, and I wouldn't be able to fish. But it's just how my mind works. I'm yeah, so laser-focused. Everybody's different. Like, I'm a chatter. Like, if I'm quiet when I'm fishing, I'm probably not catching them. Yeah. Like, I'm more of, like, a chat and go and just kind of let instincts take over and go and, like, work it and do your thing, that type of stuff. Like, I don't really get that dialed into it. But, yeah, having having the spectators be fun. I don't know. Did you watch uh, the 2014-2015 Classic r- replay before this one? Where was that? That one? At? That it was, was that was the one from Was yeah, that with Andy Howell? I might catch some heat for it, but I'll say it so other people can hear it. Dude, Ed, Edwin Evers was a dick that tournament. Really? Like watching it back, yeah, he he was like understandable because he had a little bit of trouble with some boat traffic, but like. His his flotilla following him got in his head, and I I almost wonder if that cost him the classic because like that all three days like I swear half of the stuff he was talking about wasn't even like about what he was doing or being excited to be there or like oh I have a chance to do it it, it was literally him bitching about crowds and I was like dude if you're just talking about that that much like you're out of it right now uh, you're on head, you're he was yelling at guys and I was like. You know, I was like, man, you're kind of being an asshole, really. Like, then I get it. You're fishing for a lot of money, but there's certain ways to go about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because then again, you know, while while you are fishing for, you know, that title for a living, at the same time, you can't make that living if, if no fans are watching. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the other thing, too, is when you get in areas, and I think now that more fans follow and everything, like, and you have live, I feel like guys have gotten pretty good about how how to figure out dealing with spectator boats. And I think the number one thing is when you get to a spot, 
tell a couple guys who are following you what you're doing so that they can tell the others. Like, hey, I'm fishing this grass flat along here. If you guys can stay out here, that'd be great. And that's all you have to say. And they're like, okay, cool. Because most of them probably just want to know where they're out of your way. And they don't even know that they just got in your way. Because, like, speaking about boats in the way, holy crap, this brought me back to the story today. Dude, I was so excited to fish Chickamauga on my way home just to, like, just to wet a line when I got there. Dude, I showed up to, I think it was, like, Foster, something Foster Park, check. I can't remember what it was called. Um, Austin Wilson sent me, he goes, if you're fishing from shore, because I didn't have my kayak, I didn't have a boat, um, and people were busy, obviously, it's the week, and... So I went to go fish fish from shore, and I pulled up, and like there's a little cove, and then there's a channel that leads out into the main river. Everyone, there was like, dude, there was like 20 boats in that cove fishing all the, the, the stump flats. And so I was like, I'm going to leave a bee. I'm going to go towards the point up by the river channel, and I'll just fish from shore. No one was there. No boats were out there. I'm like, I'm going to do this, so that way I'm not getting in the way of everybody because yeah. they were all fishing shallow, and I wasn't just going to be that guy. I was fishing this point, and I'm I'm walking from so there's the the creek channel here. Mm-hmm. There's the main river, and then you have your flat. I was walking towards the flat, casting against you know it from the drop, you know, whatever. Going walking down the bank, and this boat pulls comes in from the river, pulls into the bank, comes beelines like directly at me stops about a hundred yards out and i'm like whatever they're gonna fish you know the drop the part that i can't reach because i'm on shore guy puts his trolling motor down keeps coming in towards me dude i kid you not i have the gopro footage i'm gonna put it up he's literally he gets to 20 yards from me starts casting towards me to where i just casted like where we just casted our baits was literally feet from each other. So I start moving down thinking, you know, whatever, he might be protecting a certain spot. I don't care. Just kind of exploring. So I move down and I keep fishing. There's a bunch of down logs. So that's what I was fishing just to hope something was shallow. Cause they're, I came to the presumption that they're all in their winter, winter wintering holes, staging up to come up. But this dude follows me along the bank and just gets closer. And it came to the point where I got like snagged. I got snagged up one of the trees, so that kind of annoyed me. So I was already getting so like the, like boiling. I was it was just rising my anger. And <laughs> the point where I just I lost this new uh, this custom lipless that I had bought at the at the show. I couldn't get it unsnagged, and I, so I just broke it off. And I looked at them, and I'm like, Are "You guys gonna go down this whole stretch of bank?" They didn't say a word. They just nodded like that. Well, no, no. They asked me, like, you catching anything? And it took me every, like, ounce in my body not to be, like, not with a goddamn boat 10 yards away from me following me down the whole bank. But yeah. I just said, nope. And I'm like, you going down this whole bank? And I'm like, yep. And I'm like, see ya. You can have it. And I just walked away and I left. Didn't go back. <laughs> I went up to Watch Bar, fished up there because I had to visit a tackle shop. Caught nothing but freaking drum on a jerkbait, which made no sense to me. And uh, that that was that was it. That was my experience today. That that was that was rough. Not what I wanted to do at Chickamauga. <laughs> nah, I feel that. 
I'm uh, I'm excited for that chick tournament next week, though. Yeah, next let's talk about that. Yeah, let's now because now I'm getting annoyed again about that boat. So let's. Oh, you're good. So what you should look up quick. What what's the uh, what's the weather supposed to be like next week when they're there? That's what we're looking at. I'm picking my fantasy for it too. Because I think uh, nobody's got Buddy Gross picked. I haven't even looked at it yet. I should probably bring that up quick so I can look at this. Yeah, do it. Let's make our let's make our fantasy lineup. Let's see. Chickamauga. So I have. Dude, I think I think we're gonna see some absolute mega bags here. Sad. That's Saudi Daisy, right? Is that chick that's near Chickamauga? Saudi Daisy, Tennessee, right? I have or no Saudi idea. Chickamauga. Yeah, You're Chick- the one. Chick- you should. I would buy stuff. Yeah, let's see. So, wait, tournament starts Thursday, correct? Or is it? We need to pull the dates. Well, it got rescheduled, so it could be weird. Yeah, let me pull the dates. They could have made it weird. Chickamauga. 2020. I finished uh, 2,913 for Gunnersville. You what? Uh, that was my spot. That's what I finished. All right. My team, Gunner for Chickamauga. 19th, March 19th to the 22nd. Which is... So it's not this Thursday, it's next week. So yep. not, yeah, it's, it's next week. Thursday the 22nd. So let's see... What's the 10-day forecast looking like? Hold up. Because that's going to make a big difference on who I pick for this event. Let's just say... There is rain scheduled in the forecast, mid to high 60s, until next Wednesday. So let's look at the 10-day. So that's a lot of rain. So we're getting a ton of rain. Is it going to get postponed again? I don't know. I guess it depends on how well the dams are, are working. If I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. It, TVA doesn't give a crap. I mean, whoever controls the, the dam systems. I talked to one of the guys today at Watts Bar, and he says how the, the dam systems don't care about the fish. Because they say, like, when sometimes when they get weird weather during the spawn, how they try to tell them don't rise it because it kills all the eggs. They don't care and they'll rise it. Yep. Let's see. So next Thursday says. Oh, that's not that. Okay. Thursday, 19th. High of 68, low of 58, 50% chance of rain. Same thing for Friday. Same thing for Saturday. And temperature drops a little bit on Sunday, but still same thing, rain. So we're just looking at like mid to high 60s and rain for the next two weeks down there. Literally stays the exact same. Exact same. Okay, well that's going to make it interesting. Yeah. I, mean, I guess it's going to depend. We're going to have to you know, track the that dam system, the, the, the TVA, right? That's, that, that's Yeah. The, so in uh, in group one, 
I don't think I should say. Just because he's from Chicks and he's he's used to seeing it. Yeah. Um, a guy I'm going to throw out there who actually did a really good last event, and I know he fishes down there a ton, and he was down there last year a bunch when it was really high, and so be fished with him, is uh, Kyle oh, Welcher. Yeah. He's a stick. He's caught a lot of giants <laughs> in that lake. A lot of giants, and he's pretty good out there. So I'm thinking if the water's high and dirty like it was last year, that's a guy to look out for because – it's, it looks like it might be kind of similar to that. Those videos he posted with Sobe, it was it was pretty damn muddy water, and they were throwing swim baits. Yeah, and they weren't catching a lot of them, but the ones they were catching were big. Big old bellies. And they were in some heavy current. So i definitely look at him. He might end up being my group A, which is really tough because there's some really good anglers in A, obviously. Um, it's hard to not look at like Stetson just because of how consistent he seems to be. Yeah. But uh, other than him, honestly, him and Buddy, I mean, BP, just because he's got experience there, I would think, but I don't really know if there's a lot of other guys in that group I really like for that event. I, I mean, I'm not going to put it past Scott Canterbury just because he's really not that far from Chick because where where he lives, but also his just his percentage is almost 40%, so I'm not going to choose him just for that plain factor. Yeah, I just – I think – From Chickamauga. Go way up by that event, but yeah. I think Kyle Welcher is going to be a dark horse in that one I just because I know how much he's fished that lake, like a lot more than other people know. Like he has spent a lot of times there, and if – anybody's listening and wants to see some giants caught look at his youtube from last year out there because he absolutely whacked them we'll have to do it we're doing a little free plug for him right now yeah yeah um but then in group b i think david mullins will be a really good one just consistent shallow cranker and if it's dirty he'll be able to get it done and I don't know if they're going to be shallow enough for him to do it, but John Cox always seems to find giant shallow on that lake. I mean, he's I'm just trying to think. He's won two events out there now. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I know time of year it's kind of tough to think about it, but if depending on the dam systems, if it gets real flooded, naturally fish move up when the water rises, right? So if I'm just thinking pre-spawn, though, are they going to stay out in that staging area because they haven't spawned yet, or are they still going to move up shallow? I think they'll still go. If, so, as long as it's 60s during the day and stuff, it's ultimately going to come down to how much rain there is. But, like, if it's still mid-60s during the day, even touches 70 and it's sunny in the afternoons and then just a storm rolls through, like, water's going to get warm enough that they'll move up there. So, obviously, in Group B, John Cox is probably going to have, like, 50, maybe even 60% ownership. We might see a record amount of ownership out of that pool for him. He's at 10%. Micah Frazier's at 12%. Lester's at 7 Mullins at 9 I mean, trying to think. I mean, West Logan's an Alabama boy. Don't know what Kennedy will be an interesting one to watch because he 
he seemed he had a really bad year last year, and I don't know really what's going on there, but he always seems to play on when it's shallow and dirty, or you can throw a big swim bait, mm-hmm. which this event's probably going to be like a swim bait flip a jig type deal. It's hard to rule him out. He's another guy that uses Douglas rods. Oh, really? Yeah, he, I mean, not all of his rods. He doesn't have many sponsors at all. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that. He rocks, he rocks pretty solo. He likes to stay open. So he uses a bunch of different rods that are very application-specific. But yeah. he came by looking at some glide bait rods, swim bait rods, some of the new X-Matrix series, some flipping rods. So, I mean, I, he's just too inconsistent for me. And sorry, Steven, if you're watching. <laughs> I mean, he, rain on your parade. Good no, luck. He, uh, yeah, that's it. Oh, Brandon Lester. That's a really good one, too. Tennessee boy. Yeah, I'm just to, I mean, I'm going Lester. And he's uh, always, always consistent. Yeah, I just don't know any, anybody. I mean, obviously, John Cox is shallow, but he's going to be a popular favorite. Group C's got some really interesting ones because of how that first derby played out. There's some really good sticks in Group C that had a really bad first tournament. Brandon Card. Clint Davis had a decent Brandon class. Brandon Card's a Tennessee boy. Yeah. I feel like he's going to rule this, this group. Well, you get further down and you run into Brandon Cobb, who he never – he's pretty consistently good. And then down low, you run into two really intriguing ones, in my opinion, and it's Carl Jockamson. Mm-hmm. Carl Jockamson last year spent like three weeks on Chickamauga around this time of year, and he caught like a 10-plus. I remember seeing on his Instagram like some absolute freaks on a glide bait. Fish? Huh? Is that a swim bait fish? Glide. glide. I think he was throwing mainly a glide bait. So that'll be one to watch because he's going to go out there swinging. He always does. And if he can throw that glide bait around, man, that's there. And then the last guy in that pool who is probably going to get a good amount of ownership, Gerald Swindle, just because if it's a high flooded, no one really knows the pattern. There's not a better junk fisherman in the world than Gerald Swindle. I'm going to play a little bit of favoritism right now. And I'm gonna go Destin to Marion, but also because he was there a month and a half ago, he found some damn good spots with damn good fish. And if you know, if you find those good spots, if depending on how his practice goes, you get to potentially keep those areas and try to follow them and predict where they're gonna be. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with him, just because of favoritism, but also a little bit of prediction and hope. <laughs> yeah, another guy in there actually. Wow, there's a lot of guys in this group. Um, Cliff Perch, he's been so consistent for so long. And in terms of a fantasy pick, like if I'm in a pool and I just don't know who to pick and he's in there, I generally pick him and do all right. He just doesn't really bomb. He just kind of catches fish. I don't think this is really going to be in his wheelhouse at all, but that's one to look at. What do we got in group D? Let's see. Got a little Seth. Hank we got Sh- a little Sherry and Seth immediately. Hamilton, Tennessee boy. Yep. Let's see, uh, Brock Mosley, Missouri. He's pretty close to Tennessee. I mean, I, I don't I'm trying to think. Brock Mosley. He's 
This might be a Mark Menendez derby, man. Shallow spinner bait. He might be one to watch out for there. There's a lot of Kentucky boys, Tennessee boys in here. Shane Lineberger. This is a tough one for me. I'm, I'm going to have a tough time with this one. I might end up going Menendez just because he's been there so much over the years. If it's a shallow game, too, watch out for Hunter Shryock. Yeah, just he's going to fish shallow. We all know that. Yeah. He's going to flip. Yeah. I, he always seems to get around decent fish, but it seems like he, for the life of him, he can't close. Well, I think it just with the the tough thing with those super shallow fishes, you kind of run out. Yeah, there's not a lot of them. It's not a pattern deal; it's an area deal. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's really hard to win a derby, four day derby, punching or flipping that shallow. But if he's flipping wood like right off the main river, those will reload. And I think normally for him it turns into running out of fish because it's midsummer. It tends to be when he does his deal. Group E. Oh. Hey, you got Zaldane in Group E. <laughs> That's bad for him. <laughs> Zaldane in Group E, and he will be. Uh, he'll take up a lot of that. He'll take up a lot because it's Chickamauga and Giant Swimbaits will play. As well as big spoons, he can go shallow. He's probably going to be deep. Another guy that was in the classic that was on the podcast, uh, Bob Downey. Yeah, Bob, Mister Minnesota boy, uh, Wisconsin boy. He's not- well, everyone's pissed. He's labeled as Wisconsin because he fishes all the Minnesota Federation. Like he's uh-huh. a Minnesota boy. He li- so Hudson, Wisconsin, is right over the St. Croix River. And there's a bunch of Minnesota, like, residents who, like, work and stuff who technically live in Wisconsin and are Wisconsin residents because, like, it's like a 20-minute drive to the cities from there. I was going to say, because I have him in his bio for the write-up for his podcast as Minnesota. And he referred to it as Minnesota. He's a Minnesota boy. I was like, I saw, I said Minnesota boy. I looked down and see Wisconsin. I'm like, yeah, what? No, uh, no. He's, he's Hudson, Wisconsin. But he's from Egan, Minnesota. Okay. Hey, he, Gary, he actually, Gary. I will say, just based off, he doesn't have a ton of history, obviously, anywhere, but, like, based off how he won his Grand Lake tournament, and, like, I know that dude loves to flip a jig. If he's just going to go shallow and flip a jig, just look for five bites, he could be a guy in Group E if you don't want to go with Zeldane, who's definitely going to be swinging for the fences out there. He might be able to do it. I, I really don't know. That's a just based off of he won his one open doing that. Otherwise, I don't know a lot of the guys in this group. Well, we got Randy's. Oh, no. Gary Klaus is a Tennessee guy. Yeah, go two down from him. Good old Garrett. He's a Douglas boy. Yeah, and he's pretty consistently good. Mm hmm. He's got a classic classic uh, burst as well. Yeah. So I don't really know what's going to end up happening there. That that forecast is really weird because, you know, if you get five days of sun and it, you know they're going to go shallow, then it turns out, all right, who are the good sight fishermen? And if it just stays cold, it's like, all right, who's going to do the ledge deal? 
Yeah, it's going to be monitoring that weather, and I don't expect to keep this roster the same, quite honestly. Um, but I'm not going Chris Aldane just because he's going to take up the whole thing. So is Livesey. He's going to take up the whole thing. You're going to find a lot of the guys in the top ten, I think, from the Classic are going to be picked just because they're recency bias. Yeah. But, but I don't know. I don't know. Derek Cudnall, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah. Going to be an interesting deal. Trying to think. I got no. I got nothing. I got no good contributions anymore. Yeah. This one, <laughs> I'm burned out. I don't know. <laughs> I ran out. I think this one. I'm just gonna wing it. Honestly, this is gonna be an event that literally could take sixty pounds, and it could take a hundred ten, and it's all gonna <laughs> depend on the weather. It really <laughs> is. Like, I mean, look at some of those FLW tourneys, like Cox's one. I mean, maybe not sixty. It's been like seventy, but yeah. Yeah, I'll catch 20 one day and then 14 the next and then 20 again and, you know. Yeah, I'm just – Tennessee, I'm going Klaus. Just sticking to the location. And then uh, tiebreaker, pounds, four days. You're going to have to wait a long time to make that prediction. Going right, right now, I would say it's 77. I'm going 83. Yeah. 12. Ounces is always BS. I mean, I don't think I've ever gotten close. I think I had 62 for the classic, and it was what, 65? I had 71, I think. <laughs> yeah. Shoot for the moon. <laughs> I wanted 70s. That's funny. I'm trying to think what else in recent events has happened? That Chickamauga is going to shape up to be interesting. I'm just really excited for that. And then, I mean, what's happened? What What's their – trying to remember the events they have after that. Because I feel like they got an – oh, you know what? They do have one pretty close after that. And that one is going to be a slug fest. That fork? Eufaula. They go – so oh. they're going Chickamauga. Then two weeks later, they go Eufaula. And then two weeks later, they go Sandy Cooper. You're looking at three events in a row right now where it, I mean, if things shape up right, 100-pound club, I've heard guys say that there's no way you follow will be under 100 pounds, especially that time of year. That's going to be big. And Scott Canterbury is going to be a pretty heavy favorite there. Yeah. Probably. I mean, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be a fun weekend for viewers, but it's also going to be interesting to see how tournament trails, like, ratings go because you have FLW and at Cherokee that weekend, Lake Ufala for Bass, and then MLF goes to Jordan Falls and Sharon Harris, which they did pretty well at last year. Yeah, it's all. it always sucks when they divide up the viewership. Talk about that. That's one thing I kind of want to bring up because that was kind of a topic this weekend, which also there was a lot of MLF guys. Working the show. At the show, which is pretty cool to see kind of just people still supporting each other because not only were they there, there there's a lot of guys watching, talking about it. 
So it, it, it was pretty cool to see that, how it should be, you know? Guys just choosing whichever avenue, you know, fits them best. That's what you saw this weekend, which was pretty cool. I wanted to highlight that. What I also want to bring up is MLF trying to do their uh, their Red Crest or Cup event or whatever have you at the same time as the Bassmaster Classic next year. That is so dumb. It's going to be a disaster. Why would you not spread that out so both of them could be at the same magnitude? Well, yeah, and they should keep it where it takes over where the Forcewood Cup would be. Yeah. It's like in the summer, like I know, all right, it's cup time. I'm going to watch a cup. And in the spring, like it's a classic, dude. You don't you don't try to go over the classic. No and one's going to They're not going to put it that same weekend because you just can't. Like in terms of sponsors and everything, like you're not going to get people to choose like stuff like that. But the bigger thing is like you're not going to get like all the people who traveled to Birmingham to go see this and spend their spring break money, that's going to be used up. They're not going to use two weekends in the same month to go do it. Nope. No, I, I think not only does it hurt, I think it hurts everybody if you try to do this. Not only because MLF, if you schedule it on the Classic, Classic has always been known, as everybody says in this weekend, it's the Super Bowl of bass fishing. Yeah. Trying to take down that monster, one, isn't going to work for you. Two, it's going to make you look like a jerk as an organization. Trying to get rid of that makes you look bad, puts a bad taste in viewers' mouths, anglers' mouths, organizations. It, It... and it's already bad enough how much people are talking back and forth about each. I think it hurts sponsors because it's a lot of money that's shelling out to be at these events. And time-wise, it just doesn't make sense if you clash the both and you, you get a lot of opportunity costs there. I think it hurts, like you said, fans because people want to be at all of this stuff. And you can't do it in the same weekend or weeks apart. That just You, just, you can't. It's just hard to do. And I think it just... It hurts the anglers because you have, so, like, again, you have so many opportunity costs, things that are being taken away. If you clash both events, you're not taking, you're not reaping the full benefits of each. If you just need to spread them apart, like you said, do it in the Forest World Cup date. I mean, that works perfect. It's bad enough they got rid of the Forest World Cup. Now replace it with MLF Cup. You know? Yeah. It's some like if you break it down to a business standpoint and look at each individual party that is involved from fan, sponsor, angler, organization, it doesn't help anybody. No, not at all. But I, I, we'll see. I mean, there's a long time until then. So hopefully, maybe, I mean, at least do it a month. At least give it a month, you know? Yeah, I just, I don't know what's going to end up happening there. I suppose, I mean, you hear, like, the stuff that's going on and everything there. I'm not a huge fan of MLF personally. I just don't really watch it or associate with it or anything. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I just – I think Bass has pretty much shown who they are. And even with, like – I mean, last year was unbelievable. And this year, even for Bass, like the two events that kicked off haven't really been the greatest two events in terms of entertainment and still would much rather watch them, in my opinion. But Yeah. I, I like 
I'll, I mean, bass fishing to me is bass fishing. I'll watch whatever as long as it's on just because I like to watch anglers work. I like to watch – I like to learn. But I also think it's it's really good what they're doing and providing anglers an avenue where five fish limits might not be their style, might not work yep. best for them. But I also think in that same point, there should not be competition between the leagues. No. I think you need to work together to bring up the sport. I just listened to the Ike Live podcast today on my drive with Fletcher Shyock and talking about his controversy that they brought up, but also the main point being taken away is that you, we should be bringing up the sport, not trying to compete and, you know, make a top dog type of deal, which, bring, you know, in ultimate brings down the sport. So, yeah, and I think personally, I believe the leadership over at MLF didn't really set a good standard of doing that last year. No. There it was with, like, I don't know if you listened to Boyd on BTL last year, but, like, I already wasn't really a big Boyd fan, and like every one of those interviews made me much less of a Boyd fan. Yeah. And then, like, just all the stuff that went along with it, it was like, you're very obviously like, it almost seemed like in the interviews that the whole mantra behind it was just because he had some vendetta or something that happened at some point, and he's just bringing a bunch of other people with to prove a point. And, uh, and I'm sure that's not the case, especially for a lot of people who are fishing. But, like, it just set a really bad – it gave me a really bad taste in the sense – and me and a lot of other, you know, tournament fishermen out there, there's a lot of guys who don't support it or don't really watch it anymore. And it was solely from that, like, don't bash where I'm loyal to to make yourself seem better. Um, I would have watched and been fine, like without all the stuff, I probably would have tuned in. But then when you made it, like everybody was, didn't want the bass versus MLF argument. And like still today, everybody's, why can't it be both? And it can be both, but it's hard for it to be both when like the leader basically went out and said, it's one or the other, you know, and like everything they've done in decisions, like last year, at one point they said they weren't going to allow MLF anglers to work the classic like that came out at one point and then it came down it went back away real quick or like some of their social media posts they made that got magically deleted a few days later like stuff like that it was like what are you doing like doesn't really seem like this is being thought out very well so i'm i am not one to really i'm not one to not like someone based on of things that I have heard or been told about them. But I'll be totally brutally honest here that I don't like Boyd Duckett just because every person that I've come in contact with that knows of him or knows him does not like him. And it obviously has to be for a good reason. And I understand he does a lot of good things. And I'm, I know there's a lot of guys who have messed up and made mistakes because they're human and that's fine. I mean, I don't care. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm young and dumb. Yeah. But when you have that many people who have that opinion of you, that outlook of you, you need to change something. Yeah. And the excuse can't be like, Oh, he's a great businessman. Like no. you could, you could no there one cares are great about businessmen who are great people too. And especially in a sport that like is a small community and like, 
most of the people are friends with each other, you can't bring in the corporate mentality because it just doesn't work. And I think they figured that out pretty quickly. And that's why, like, Boyd hasn't been on BTL this year. Boyd hasn't been really anywhere doing a lot of stuff. And it's that was because the PR was not great. <laughs> that is my exact thought today when I was listening. His name came up, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, why hasn't there been a podcast? Why hasn't he been on a certain show? There has to be a good reason why they don't let him talk. Like, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I hate to kind of speculate that just because I've never had a personal interaction with him. But yeah. after stories and things that I've heard, it's just hard not to. Um, yeah, it's just, for me, it's, I've never met the guy, you know, could be a great guy, whatever. But, like, at this point, like, I'm going to judge you based on actions because actions speak louder than words. And based on all the actions, I probably don't like you. <laughs> yeah. And one thing that kind of epitomizes what we're talking about, one of our Douglas pros, Jonathan Crossan, said this past weekend, I can't remember how this conversation started, um, said, I would rather be a crappy angler but known as a good dude than be a really good angler and be known as a D-bag. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. Guys guys out there aren't going to care – if you're top dog, I mean, if you're somebody who they can trust and you, you work hard and you know, you're, you know, you just, you're doing what you enjoy. Mm-hmm. No one's going to care where you end up ranking wise. Oh, unless you know, you're that top dog, but you're a D bag then no one's going to like you. Yeah. It's just it really comes down to that. So, yeah. Uh, and in the grand scheme of things, I hope, MLF does great, and I hope it takes off and it, the sport gets big and everything. Um, it's just obviously these are our opinions and everything based off of where everything stands at this moment. Like, it's just... I it is what it is. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think if there's any other topics we should cover. I need to come back down here to get revenge on these lakes because I can't take my fulfillment of fishing fishing from the shore i just don't like it mm-hmm. so i have to come down here actually get on the water but other than that we should keep doing these recap previews for each elite series tournament if not all you know whatever flw mlf we can play around with it we'll see we'll see how people like this and then uh, we'll go from there but this is fun yeah see what see what the people like if they want it back i mean i gladly hop on before uh I mainly watch the BASS events just because, like, I like watching fishing. I just don't have enough time to watch all of it. <laughs> so I kind of choose what what to watch in there. So if we go before the elite events, gladly, man, I'll hop on and chat about and see what's going on because I get hyped before the elite events. I get so excited. So I'm really excited to see uh, what will be going on and more excited to get my boat rigged the next week or two here and actually be able to get out and fish. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to go to Cayuga Saturday. Hopefully get on some fish. But, yeah, I got to go to bed soon because it's 11 o'clock. I got to get up at 6 a.m. to leave for Virginia. Oh, you're in the east time zone, too. It's only 10 here. But, yeah, I need to go to bed soon, too. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> all right, man. Well, I'm going to log off here, but let's let's keep this up. Let's do it each for each tournament then. Who cares about the ratings? This was fun. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully the people like it.
<laughs> I mean, it seemed they seem to like to hear you talk, so I guess we should. <laughs> My friends will not agree with that. If they hear this, so. <laughs> That's funny. All right, man. Well, thank you for hopping on. I need to crash. I'm about to fall asleep on you right now. So, thank you again. Let's do it soon. Perfect. Yeah, man. See you later. All right. See you. Hey guys, I just want to say thank you for listening to my podcast in its entirety. With that being said, if you'd like to support the Serious Angler Podcast, please head to my page and click support. Any amount really helps me be able to create content for you guys and also helps me you know, pay the bills, which gives me more time to make podcasts for you guys. Thank you guys again for listening to the Serious Angler Podcast, and we'll see you guys next time.